I hope you're blessed today to be here. We are blessed to have the Word of God, so let's all find the Bible, whether on your phone or there in the pew, and thank God for His Word. It guides us, it helps us, it lifts us up. When we're feeling down, it encourages us, and it helps us to go forward with the plan that God has in mind. Because God's plan wasn't just to bless a few people and be done with it. God's plan was to bless the whole world through the power of Jesus. And we know that because his word testifies to that. We've been studying the book of Acts slowly because I like to do things slowly. Um, And we are still in chapter 15, believe it or not. But we are going to look at something that we maybe don't like to look at, and that is the difficulties that we go through at times. And so we want to pray and ask God to teach us what his word has for us today. Do you know that we need a steady diet of God's word in order to be strong, in order to live our lives for Jesus? If this is the only word you get this week, it's not enough. It would be like eating one meal on Sunday morning and not eating again until the following Sunday morning. You're not going to make it through the week very strong without more of the word of God. So I encourage you to spend time in God's word, to remember That it's like food for your soul, for your spirit. It builds you up. It strengthens you. It helps you to do what you need to do that day. And if you skip meals, and if you skip too many meals, you make yourself susceptible to all kinds of disease and all kinds of weaknesses. So don't be susceptible to that. Read God's word. Meditate on God's word. Go slowly through it so that the spirit can speak to you as you listen to it. So, we have just looked at the beginning of chapter 15 over the last couple weeks, and we saw that there was this great victory for salvation because there was a controversy going on within the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews who were in Jerusalem, many of them believed that the Gentiles needed to become Jews first and then become Christians after that. They needed to go through the the Old Testament law and and to, to walk in those ways of Moses so that then they could receive grace. And that caused a controversy, so much so that they had to call a council of leaders to come together and say, well, wait a minute, what's being taught? What is the true gospel? And we got to see the victory that Jesus brought in that group by bringing them to unity, by bringing them together in the grace of God to be able to continue to show that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, not by works, so that any of us could say we saved ourselves, but by Christ alone. So there was this great victory, and out of that came some practical applications of the commandment of Jesus. We talked about the commandment that he said, love one another. And then we have to find out practical ways to do that because it isn't just a feeling. Oh, I feel love for you. It's an action. I do things that show love for you. And so they were given those requirements there in chapter 15. And our passage today is going to start in verse 30. So if you turn in your Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 982. I want to read to you a few verses from chapter 15, starting in verse 30. So they were sent off, and they went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, meaning the church, they delivered the letter, the letter that was written by the council in Jerusalem. When they read the letter, 
They rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. Sometimes messages are long. (laughs) But they strengthen us if we listen. I love that. Pastors pick up on things like that. Don't they? Don't they, Gary? A long message, right? We're all into short messages, the TikTok and stuff like that. But no, no, no. God uses a long message to get his people strengthened and encouraged. Verse 33. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them back to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. So in that first paragraph that we just read, it's full of words like rejoicing and encouragement and strengthening and peace and teaching was taking place and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Good stuff was happening because a decision had been made that salvation is based on Jesus and our relationship with him alone, not by the law So that nobody can boast, I keep it better than you, or I'm better than you. But the the ground is level, as they say, at the foot of the cross. We all come to him through faith in what he did for us, that he died for us, and that he rose again to give us new life. And so the church was built up by this message of loving one another, caring for one another, considering one another better than themselves. We looked at that last week. But in... Verse 36, keep looking there in your your Bibles, things begin to change. It says, after some time had passed, so we don't know how much time had passed. Luke doesn't tell us. Luke, the author of this book. But Luke shows us that Barnabas and Paul, two wonderful people that we've read all kinds of wonderful things about, he shows us that they're human They're human. These Christian leaders of the Christian church, which is growing and being established in the world and sending missionaries, are human. Just like all the other humans that make up the church. You know, sometimes people tend to forget that Christian leaders are human. Somehow we think they're superhuman. We put them on a pedestal. We think that their lives are different than all the rest of our lives. They don't deal with the same kind of human things that we deal with. Some leaders enjoy that. They enjoy being treated like a special class of people. I do not, as many of you know. But many people eat that up, depending on their temperament and their personality. They love it. And we need to be careful around those type of people. Because they are just as capable of falling into temptation, and we have seen it again and again and again in modern Christian history. They fall into temptation just like any other human. And so we should be praying for them that they don't fall into temptation like every other human. This is why it's very essential and very important for leaders at Holden Chapel to be humble. I believe that humility is the number one character of Christ that we need. Philippians teaches Christ humbled himself, became like a servant to bring salvation to us. 
If we're going to be Christ-like, we need to also follow in that way and humble ourselves. Pride and leadership in the church do not go well together. We are all, every one of us, a work in progress. God is at work in each of us, finding those areas that have yet to be surrendered to him and, and continuing to be shaped by the world and by, by the, the compromises that we make and, and by the Holy Spirit's power and his sanctification process. He's working those things up and out of us when we cooperate with him. I praise God that God isn't finished with any of us. But one day he will be. It says one day we will see him face to face and it says, and we will be like him in every way. Woo! Can't wait. Can't wait. So in the meantime, let's all agree together to remain humble. To remain humble. We need Jesus every day, each and every one of us. Now, look at verse 39 with me. In verse 39, something happens. These two men who were having a discussion in verse 36 through 39, they're having a discussion about going back out on the road, going back out to visit the churches that they had established and they had gone on their first missionary journey. They want to go back and encourage them with the same message that they had just encouraged the people in Antioch about. But in verse 39, it says, Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them. In verse 37, Barnabas really wanted to take along this man, John, Mark, who had deserted them. Houston, we've got a problem. <laughs> Two great Christian men who love God and love the church and are giving their whole lives to spreading the good news of the gospel have a disagreement about another fine Christian man. And I want you to understand something. This is a shameful episode. Luke doesn't skip over it like we like to. We like to hide the shameful stuff and then make a big deal out of the good stuff. The good thing about the gospel is that it doesn't let us do that, does it? Remember poor Peter? Poor Peter, when he was a disciple. He denied Christ three times. He wept bitterly about it. And we all read about it and feel good about ourselves. All throughout the word of God, we see great men and women do great things for God. But we also see that they're very human. And they also fail and need God's grace applied back into their lives so they can get up and go on. The thing that makes them great is that they don't give up. They get back up again. So the Bible itself is used to warn us, each and every one of us, to watch out, to be on the alert, to make sure that we keep short accounts that we don't fall into temptation. 
Later on, because we have so many of the letters that Paul wrote to his churches, we see in his letters that Paul warns those churches against anger, against bitterness, against rage. And I wonder if at that time he was reminded of this incident in Acts 15. And I wonder if he still sort of hung his head in shame when he wrote these words to the early church that we're going to look at in a moment. We can tell, though, that Paul learned from his mistake. We can tell because we have more evidence available to us. And so he is a good role model for us. So sometimes seeing the failure helps us to see the recovery process. And that's a good thing because we're all in recovery. In case you think I'm making too much out of this little disagreement that we have here, I want you to realize that the Greek word behind those words where it says in verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement. It's one, one Greek word. And that Greek word, if used in the context of a medical situation, actually means convulsion, anger, such sharp anger that it has heightened emotions, red in the face, distorted visual, like this picture here, loud screaming voices, things being said that should have been left unsaid, a very sorry sight to behold. I've been witness to one or two of these types of events in the church in my 40 years of ministry. It's real. It's not imagined. Good Christian men and women act this way at times. So my encouragement for us as a church is let's learn from this sad story today. Let's be warned by it and learn to watch out for it. See, part of the trouble here is that in a way, I believe both of these men, Paul and Barnabas, were right as far as rightness goes. So what happened? They've been in ministry together for years. In fact, Barnabas is the one who kind of brought Paul into the ministry. They have a deep relationship. They've been through ups and downs and ups and downs together. The trouble is that at this moment, they both think they're right. Do you ever been in a situation like that? You know you're right, and you know the other person is wrong, and they know they're right, and they know you're wrong, and there ain't no changing it. It's a difficult situation. Paul is probably thinking back to the incident that we read about in Acts 13, verse 13, when John Mark left the team suddenly because things got tough. In other words, he wimped out. He couldn't take it. He panicked. He said, oh, no, this is more than I signed up for. And he packed his bag and he left the team. That really happened. It's not Paul's imagination. John, or John Mark, we'll call him that, he abandoned them. 
Maybe when they needed him most. So Paul's still feeling that. I found this picture that I think will help to illustrate. Paul is kind of thinking back on the facts. These are the facts. We went on a trip. Things got tough. John Mark left. That's true. He's right, right? That is what happened according to biblical history. And he knows factually that he needs to build a team for this next trip with members he could rely on. People who weren't going to wimp out. Right? And so in his mind, this makes perfect sense. Let's not take John Mark, because if we get arrested again, if we get beaten again, if we get stoned again, he's going to go home and cry to mommy. And we don't need that. We need a strong team. But, on the other hand, Barnabas is sort of thinking through his heart. He's more heart-centered than mind-centered. We know that because he's actually called the son of encouragement. He goes around encouraging people. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. God's got this. He loves you. Don't worry. That's Barnabas. So Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he knew that John Mark was pretty young at the time when they went out on that trip. And that he had simply panicked. He had a moment of weakness. And he'd surely grown up since then. It'd been a few years. And we should give him another opportunity to show how much he loves God. And how much he wants to use, be used by God in this world to minister to others. He deserves another chance. Remember, Barnabas and, and John, they're cousins. So they're close. He knows what what John Mark is made of. And Barnabas was willing to believe in John Mark and believe that he'd grown in his spiritual life and believe that, that there was still good that God had to bring out of him. And he believed that he could be helpful for this next trip. Now, we can't really know all the reasons But Paul definitely believed he was right. And Barnabas definitely believed he was right. And maybe they were both right. That can happen, you know. It really can. Neither was willing to back down, however. And here's where the problem begins. Neither was willing to consider the other better than themselves. Neither was willing to say, okay, I don't fully agree, but we can go your way this time. Let's try it. Neither man backed down, it tells us in Scripture. Verse 38, Paul insisted Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who deserted them. They had this sharp disagreement. And so the result was they parted company. They split. They went in opposite directions. Barnabas took John Mark with him, and he sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, 
who was still around. He had come from Jerusalem and had stayed there. He chose Silas and went and departed in another direction. He traveled to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I find it interesting that they didn't seem to follow the same path that they had just experienced back in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Council. When there was a sharp disagreement within the church, they gathered together with the other church leaders. We have this recorded for us earlier in this chapter. And in that environment, I'm sure they prayed. I'm sure they tried to think about the words of Jesus and what would Jesus do. They came up with this solution to that problem around salvation. How do you get saved? And it was a beautiful solution that brought encouragement and strength and rejoicing to the church. In this place of disagreement, we have no evidence that they called anyone to help them. That they said, hey, we're having trouble. Can you, can you come and pray with us? Can you come and talk with us? Can you come and maybe speak to this other guy? And, and I'll, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't seem to. At least it doesn't say they did that. They didn't seem to follow the pattern that the Holy Spirit had laid out for them. And this very sharp, convulsive disagreement caused them to break unity and perhaps have the first split that the church ever experienced. And we've been splitting ever since. Back in verse 28, these words are like haunting to me. That's why I keep going back to them. It says, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours I love that. Somehow, that group in Jerusalem had come to a place where they all could confirm that the Holy Spirit has made this decision, and we're going to line up with it, regardless of how we feel personally. And those who were Judaizers, those who believed in the law, laid that down and said, well, this is the Holy Spirit's decision, and I want to line up with the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in the, in the way of the Spirit. We know that Jesus told us to love one another, so here's how we'll do it. So I just want to ask Paul and Barnabas, if I could be there when they're having this strong disagreement, if I could be there, I'd want to say, what does the Holy Spirit want? Paul, you've made it clear what you want, and Barnabas, you've made it clear what you want, but let's lay that down for a minute. What does the Holy Spirit want? There's no mention of that in these verses. Sometimes we learn from what's not there. There's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of calling others to help make this decision. There's just anger and division. Oh, God, have mercy. Have mercy. We need to be a people who are able to discern what the Holy Spirit's decision is. And then lay down our arms and walk in that way. It's God's best for us. It's God's purposes for us. 
We know more about Paul because he wrote so many of the New Testament books for us. But Paul grows and learns a few things in his years of ministry. And then he tries to pass them on to the believers. I don't believe that Paul is a hypocrite. I believe he learned these things himself and then wanted others to avoid the pain of the division, of the split, and walk in the wholeness and the unity that Christ, through his spirit, can provide. He wrote letters to the churches, as you know. One of them was to the church, to the believers in Galatia. And he writes in Galatians 5, 14 through 16, For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out. Watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. It's a message we hear again and again and again from Paul. I believe here in Acts 15, there was some flesh showing up in both men. And Luke wants us to see it. God wants us to see it because some flesh shows up in us at times. I know that's hard for you to believe of me, but it's true. And if you lived with me, like my poor wife, you'd know it. To the believers in Ephesus, another one of the churches that Barnabas and Paul helped to plant, Paul writes this, and I want you to turn to it in your Bibles. It's on page uh, 1038. I want you to look at it because we're going to spend a few minutes there, and we only have a few minutes, so we better get there quick. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32. On page 1038. This is part of a, a, a greater passage here about living according to the Spirit. But at the end here in verse 30, 30, well, in verse 30, we'll start there. It says, do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. Did you know the Spirit can be grieved? We can hurt the Holy Spirit by our actions. Do not grieve God's Holy Spirit, Paul writes. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all kinds of malice. He just described what he and Barnabas went through in Acts 15. Some shouting and some bitterness and some anger and some rage were all happening there. And now, years later... He's saying, get rid of it. Take it off. Remove it. But you can't do it in your own power. In our passage, the first two words there, let, actually the first word, let, 
all bitterness be removed. Let all bitterness be removed. Not remove it yourself. It's like Tom going to the dentist and the dentist says, I'm going to pull that tooth. You say, oh, it might be painful. I'll go home and do it myself, right? <laughs> nah, not a good idea. Infection and all kinds of other problems will happen. But if you go to the dentist and say, I will let you remove that tooth, they got some nice anesthesia, maybe some laughing gas, you know, who knows what, painkillers, whatever, to, to, to bring it out. Is it still painful? Sure. But guess what? The dentist went to school to learn how to do it safely so you don't get an infection, so you don't have to end up in the emergency room. The dentist knows how to remove a tooth. You probably don't. Do you, Tom? No, Tom doesn't know how to remove a tooth. So don't let him remove your tooth either. But the dentist or God's Holy Spirit knows how to remove these things from us. I think we get it wrong because sometimes we think, I have to remove that. I got to stop being so angry. I got to stop being so bitter. And guess what? You can't. You can't do it. You might for a little while just hold it all inside, but then your head will explode. You can't do it yourself. Let God's Spirit remove that from you. Let him, by spending time with him, by talking to him about it, by being honest with him, he knows anyway. So these are the, the, the words, this next slide here, Andrea, these are the words that are all mentioned in there. Bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, malice, slander. You might know what some of them are. We don't use some of them in our everyday language anymore. We know anger. Bitterness, bitterness is just the result of anger or hurt feelings that have not been dealt with. So it's just there inside of you towards another person. It usually results in you blaming that other person or keeping score with that other person. Wrath. Wrath is a word that actually comes from the word to boil, to boil over. If I boil over, you know, rice or something like that or pasta on your, your stove, it makes a mess, right? It boils over. It's like outbursts of anger. It just keeps coming until you turn down the heat. You turn off the heat, remove it from the heat, guess what? It stops boiling over. But that's what wrath is. We know what shouting is. It's just yelling, screaming, trying to get your way, sometimes crying, manipulating people through your strong emotions. I have to explain these things to you because I know none of you experience them. Slander is when you just speak badly about another person because they hurt you. Whenever that person's name comes up, you go, right. You know how she is, right? This is slander. And malice, malice is a general term for any kind of ill will that you hold towards another person. It's, it's the feeling of when something bad happens to that person, you're like, good, he deserves it. God got him. That's malice. So it's not righteous. Let it go. Remove it. Let the Holy Spirit remove it from you. All of these actions come from your old self or your flesh. And they keep you from resolving conflict and growing in your life and growing with other people. They keep you from relationships. Because you know what? If one relationship hurts, then two can hurt twice as much and three can hurt even more. 
And so you start to withdraw from relationships because you haven't, in a healthy way, resolved those things between yourself and the Lord and yourself and those people. You end up very isolated. God wants us to come together around him and to be united in Christ and to live in that self-sacrificing kind of love so that we build up other people. These emotions do nothing but oppose love. They stop love. So we can have sermons about loving one another, loving one another, loving one another, and if your life is filled with these things, you can't do it. On the outside, you might pretend, but it's not really happening in you. You can't love someone if you're angry at them, if you're bitter. You can't show love, not genuine love, not self-sacrificing love. So Paul goes on to tell us in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. That's the standard. God forgave you in Christ. That's the standard. So now forgive one another. In that same way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your will, but by God's will being worked out in your life. A kind person is someone who thinks of other people's needs and takes action. So, so these are all action words. They're not just feelings, because sometimes we, we, we say, like, oh, I feel, I feel I love that person, but you don't ever do anything to express that love. Couples, how well does that work for you? I love you, honey. Well, then take out the garbage. No! <laughs> I'm not doing that for you. It's your job. All right? So love is expressed in action. It's not just words. Compassion. Compassion is that deep feeling you have for someone. That you actually care that they're hurting. You care that they're struggling. You have compassion in them. And forgiving one another, the words here in the Greek point to undeserved favor. No, they don't deserve your forgiveness, but give it to them anyway. That's how God in Christ forgave you. These are important elements for a Christian community to have. If we're lacking in this, we're failing God. We're failing to grow. We're failing to become who God wants us to be. Look at verse, verse 1. Right after this. So th- I don't know why they decide what chapter is what in the Bible, but verse 4 ends with forgiving just as in God, in Christ God forgave you. And then it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. Beautiful. So if we orient ourselves towards God's love and the love that he has for us, that is the standard for how we love others. We can do it with the power of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit wanted Luke to be honest with us about this ugly split between Paul and Barnabas because he knows that we've all made mistakes. 
We've all done similar things, maybe not this way, but in another way. And he doesn't want to assign blame to either one of them. Notice he doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, and Paul was right, so he went off to do such and such. And Barnabas, a crazy guy, he went off to do what? No, he just says, here's what happened afterwards. And the beautiful thing about this, again, in, in, his, in the history of the church, is that we get to see that over time, reconciliation takes place. Forgiveness takes place. These people weren't enemies the rest of their lives. We have proof from God's word. Paul's, here's what it looks like. Here's the outcome of it. God makes Silas available to join Paul's team. And they went on a three-year mission, and they found Luke, who wrote this book of Acts for us, and Timothy on that mission. So this long-term result is good. One other thing that we can see is that there were two teams, and maybe they covered twice as much territory. It wasn't a plan, but God can turn something bad and into something good, right? So they were able to cover twice as much ground and re- reach twice as many people. Paul and John Mark actually reconcile, and you can see mention of this in Colossians 4.10, in Philemon uh, verse 24, and in 2 Timothy 4.11. There's three places in Scripture where Paul speaks well of John Mark and wants him to come and join him in ministry. Paul and Barnabas also reconcile, and they work together again, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Mark matures. How do we know that? Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. The Holy Spirit chose this young man who was immature, who was afraid, who did, to write the first gospel. Mark doesn't come first in the order of how we ordered the books in the, in the New Testament, but Mark was dated as the first gospel written, was written by this man, John Mark. God was so pleased with him that he allowed the Holy Spirit to come and use his mind and his hand to write the gospel message for the church. He matures under Barnabas' care. And lastly, Paul meets Luke, who then writes for us the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts. The Gospel of Acts. The Book of Acts. And we are the beneficiaries of that. We'll find out how he met Luke in the weeks to come. But on this trip, he meets Luke. It's awesome. It's so awesome. So run with me through this quick summary. So the summary is this. We are to act in love because Jesus commanded us to love one another. So when we get angry, when we know we're right, the number one priority is not to prove that you're right. The number one priority for Christians is to love one another. Ooh. That hits some of you hard. Not to prove that you're right, but to prove that you love the way Jesus commanded us to love. The second thing we have to remember in summary is to act in the spirit. To ask him into that disagreement, say, what, what, Holy Spirit, what do you want? I know what I want, and I know what she wants, but Holy Spirit, what do you want? 
We find that in his word, we find that in prayer, and we find that in fellowship with other mature believers. They can help us to discern. Discernment is huge. And lastly, where we started, act in humility. Be humble. It's hard, I know that. But Christ himself, who is being formed in us, humbled himself all the way to the cross where he was wrongly executed. He did nothing wrong, but he was willing to humble himself to death for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Ooh, it is a sharp two-edged sword. But we thank you for using it to do surgery on us and to keep changing us and moving us and making us grow. Thank you for these people. May your word go in deep. Continue the process in each one of us of making us more like Christ so the world could know that he's alive in us. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen.